Andy Bernstein coming up in just a sec. He's giving the Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Everything for less only at Walmart. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, 710 ESPN. And, you know, as we kind of bounce back and forth between, you know, news outside of basketball and, you know, the Super Bowl and what the Dodgers are up to and then the NBA, which is sort of the news is still so deeply tied to Kobe. It's 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 kind of fun to, to to have these moments to talk to people like Andy, who is obviously not just a legendary NBA photographer, really one of the first pe- people that you meet when you come into the league, uh, but also a guy who collaborated with Kobe and um, just a, a really to boot, just a really good guy. Yeah, um, Andy, thanks so much for coming on. We we really do appreciate. It. I know it's a it's a hard time, uh, so we we do appreciate your willingness to come out and 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 share some stories with us today. Well, thanks, guys. Um, always great to connect with you, and I'm just so sorry it's under this circumstance this time. Yeah, for sure. Like when you when you you've known you know Kobe from when he he came back you know came into the league. When you first met this guy, you know, 17 years old, that you know kind of arrogance that he came in with, the, the confidence he came in the league with. What were your impressions of him when you first met him? Well, I met him that media day, 96. You know, he had just turned 18. And uh, he was intriguing to me. I mean, he had a lot of confidence, that's for sure. And, you know, I've told this story before. I think I told it to, to you guys in your list. You know, he, he told me he knew who I was. He had all my posters in his room growing up. <laughs> it's like, well, that's pretty interesting since, like, nobody reads the uh, photo credit on a poster <laughs> other photographers. So it really kind of said, said a lot that this guy had the presence of mind of studying, you know, every single dot on the poster. Um, and then, you know, as our relationship developed, I just, I just, how different he was in terms of his uh, work ethic and how he approached um, every aspect of the game and constantly curious, wanting to get better. You know, I mean, nothing speaks to that more than his first All-Star game where he's picking the brain of Michael Jordan, his idol, during a free throw. You know, somebody's shooting at the free throw, and Kobe's, like, asking him questions. You know, it was just, um, he was a different kind of dude, and uh, I got that from day one. And then how did your guys' relationship evolve over the 20 years that he played with the Lakers? Because you had a professional relationship with him, but you also had a personal one. Yeah, it, it's interesting. When he came in, um, I, I was already 12, 13 years you know, into the league as the NBA f- league photographer, but also the Lakers team photographer. So I had, um, I had sort of you know, paid my dues with Showtime and Magic and Pat Riley, and Mitch Kupchak was always incredibly generous to me um, with letting me be around the team as much as I wanted to. So I, I had sort of established that kind of rapport with, with the organization, and... So it's kind of kind of a natural segue once he came in, and of course Shaq was there, and I had had a long relationship with Shaq before he came to the Lakers. So, you know, we we just kind of hit it off. I mean, he, you know, he saw that I was a hard worker. Um, I think he appreciated that, but I also, um, you know, didn't really want to call attention to myself. I felt like my work had to speak for itself, and and just be sort of a fly on the wall and document and record the journey of the team and him and you know once they started winning championships um i was grateful that phil let me be the guy on the inside and my good friend gary Beatty, you know opened up the door to the inner sanctum there in the training room so 
you know, I was just kind of a, you know, maybe a fixture that he became used to. But I, I was very, very conscious of with him and, and all the guys of of just not abusing that privilege. Mm-hmm. Talking to a legendary NBA photographer Andy Bernstein, also a, a collaborator uh, with Kobe Bryant on on book projects and, and different things. And I, Andy, it's did, did you get a feel um, as he you know sort of especially as his career was going on, like for the the, the ability that he had and the eye that he had for imagery and storytelling and how pictures work in that way and 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 the power of of that kind of media because it obviously became such an important part of you know what was growing into his post-career life yeah well throughout his career he was, he constantly asked me for pictures of of the icons of the game that he admired and studied and he might remember but he had like little four by six or five by seven prints that I had made for him hanging in his locker. So he would look at uh, something of Isaiah or Dominique or Magic or Michael. Yeah, and I guess it inspired him, but he, all, he also, and I didn't find this out later until we did our book together, but he studied the photos I gave him of the greats and also of himself and dissected it like a science experiment. You know, he would like, he would literally break down what was going on in the photo, which, of course, I never saw. I just, you know, was the photographer taking, I hope, a nice picture. But he would see a defensive uh, tendency or a flaw in somebody's, uh, you know, way that they defended him that he could take advantage of the next time, you know. So when we did the book together, that was really what he wanted to get across was, um, the process and the craft of, of how he broke down everything in the game um, to become the Mamba, to become the great icon that he was. And one of the things Brian and I were talking about yesterday, Andy, we're talking with Andy Bernstein, the legendary NBA photographer who collaborated with Kobe, documented his career through pictures with the Lakers, is just how expressive a face Kobe had. You know, and like the different mm-hmm. sides of that face, you know, everything mm-hmm. from the smile to, you know, like the jaw mm-hmm. jut and all that type of stuff. And I just imagine <laughs> as as a photo subject for you over all those years, he must have been an amazing luxury. Oh, unbelievable. I mean, I've been so lucky in my career to have guys like Magic or Michael Jordan, you know, in front of my lens. And and they were always very expressive as well. But Kobe was, was the whole encyclopedia, like you said. I mean, um, from an early age. I mean, we remember, you know, the young Kobe being a dunk machine. I mean, if I didn't come home after a game with maybe four or five really good dunk pictures after a game, it was maybe a disappointing night for me. Mm-hmm. Um but his facial expressions, and he left it all on the court. You know, he didn't. Uh, you know, he didn't hold back. And um, as a photographer, that's an unbelievable gift, and it's a challenge because you know you can't you can't take the camera off your eye because in that instant you'll miss something great. So, you know, I took the challenge of trying to do the best I could to to be on him all the time, and that included off the court as well. You know, he had. He had an intense um, uh, regimen off the court of taking care of his body, of his mind. Um, his he's incredibly regimented in his the way he trained, and that was important for me too to, to document that as well as what was going on on the court. Talking to Andy Bernstein, NBA legendary NBA photographer, collaborated with Kobe Bryant the uh, 2018 book, The Mama Mentality. Um, 
I know, Andy, like if I ever take a picture of my wife, um, I am not to post <laughs> that like on Facebook without running it by her first. Um, was was Kobe <laughs> yeah. interested in, in like the, the what kinds of pictures went out? I mean, you know, he always took a good photograph. I mean, a good looking guy. But like, uh-huh. right. was, was he all at all interested in like what went out or you know, things like that? No, I, I never got any uh, comment from him, uh, Vanessa, anyone uh, in his team. Um, hey, we need to we need to see this first. Um, you know, don't run that. Never did that happen. Um, I respected that, and, and he knew. Look, I'm in a position as team photographer and league photographer not to make any of these guys look bad or get a gotcha moment in any way. That's not my job. Um, so there was confidence and trust in that, that um, if I'm behind the scenes, I'm not going to shoot something that's you know, questionable and put that out there, and, and neither would the team or the NBA. Um, so you know, there was that understanding, and my job was to really um, – honestly be a fly on the wall when I was behind the behind the curtain of the Lakers, you know, traveling with them or anything personal that we did together. And it, there was there was some personal things that I did with Kobe with his family that have never been released and they were for the family. Um and it'll stay that way, you know, unless Vanessa decides otherwise. But um you know, I respect that. He respected what I had to do and, and that's what it was from day one was this incredible mutual respect for both of our jobs and our crafts and each other's talents as brian mentioned earlier andy you got you collaborated with kobe on the mama mentality book what was he like to work with just as a creative partner he was exactly the same as he was on the court i mean he he knew exactly what he wanted this book to look like um, I had a whole other idea that I presented to him and his marketing people and, <laughs> and uh, all the folks at Kobe Inc. And he listened very nicely and politely, but then he said, you know what, we're not doing that book. We're We've gotten that a lot, Andy. Yeah, it seems to be a <laughs> trend a with people who show up with ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah which was great because, you know, bottom line was he wanted to do a book with me. So that was, you know, that was the gift. I had to figure out how to make it as good as he wanted it to be. And what he wanted, honestly, guys, was to let the viewers and the and the readers in to what made him tick as the Black Mamba. You know, he took that Black Mamba moniker and adopted it, and we all knew that it was this, like, vicious snake, you know, and, and uh, deadly and all that. But what did that really mean? What was the mentality behind that that made him tick? And none of us really, I mean, I saw it, but he never verbalized it, so... The book gave him the forum to do that, and he wanted to illustrate that through my photos. So that was the challenge. So he would ask ask for photos that showed specific things. I mean, he would go back. I'll give you an example. We we're talking about um, Bruce Bowen playing him on defense. Who was you know remember Bruce was one of his mm-hmm. big nemesises on defense, and he he, he said well, you remember the two thousand and I'm don't have the dates exactly right, but you remember the two thousand Western Conference Finals game five third quarter and I got Bruce on the baseline and I make that move to the left but then I spin and I dunk on him he says you have that picture right <laughs> and I said sure yeah, okay I'll, I'll find that picture Mr. Baba and uh, I had a great a really great photo editing uh, team back in New Jersey at NBA Photos because remember half of his career was pre-digital so it was all film 
And we found literally probably 90% of the stuff that he wanted. And if we didn't find it, we found something that was pretty close to it, you know. But he, um, as, as a collaborator, you couldn't ask for somebody that was more focused. Um, he wasn't demanding, but he was extremely um, sure about what he wanted. He, and every word in that book was written by him, um, supported by my photos. And it was an unbelievable dream come true for a photographer. Andy Bernstein, legendary NBA photographer. Uh, thank you again so much for, for taking the time and, and for sharing some some thoughts. Uh, it's a hard week, and, and we really do appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. Well, thanks, fellas. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Uh, Andy Bernstein, just always great word, and really just a phenomenal, phenomenal guy as well. Uh, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Some huge changes the NBA has announced today for the all-star format. Uh, some of which will be related to Kobe Bryant. We'll bring that to you next. Kamenetsky Brothers, 710 ESPN. All right, Andy. So the All-Star Game has a new uh, format that was just announced this morning. Uh, this brought to you by Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. You're going to need a pen. <laughs> Actually, you know what? You're going to need a pencil because you're probably going to make some. So the, the, here's how this is going to work. Teams you know, still going to do the thing where the, the Giannis and LeBron choose their teams and whatever. Okay, so that's the same. Teams will compete to win each of the first three quarters. Each of the first three quarters are going to be 12-minute games, the winner of which they end up making like a donation to a charity. So you're playing for charity three mini-games, 12 minutes long. Um you follow me so far? Sort of, yes. Okay, all right. <laughs> yes. At the end of three quarters... Right. They're going to turn off the clock. Greg, you with me so far? Yep, all I right, got good. it. At the end of three quarters, they're going to turn off the clock. And they're going to set a play an untimed fourth quarter where they set a target score. First team to get to this number wins. The target score will be... This is where it gets a little confusing. Whatever like the cumulative score it is, let's say it's 195 in the cumulative score, it's plus 24. And this is where you're, they're going to honor Kobe Bryant. They're going to, you know, so the the additional amount of points that a team has to get is 24 <laughs> points, okay. and that's to honor Kobe. So let's say you were down cumulatively by the Western Conference is down 10 points at the end of three quarters. They would need to score 34 points to win where the Eastern Conference would only need to score 24 points to get to their target score. And then whoever gets to the target score first um, gets another 200 k for uh, a Chicago community charity. Did I explain that reasonably well? That was actually very well. The only thing is that after each quarter, there's 100 k that goes to a charity. So right, I said that. Wins. I yeah. mentioned that. Yeah, well, you didn't say the 100 k part. Of it. I just mentioned so that. So it's 500, yeah, 500 k total. So it's 300 k in the first in the first three, and then 200 at the end. So 500 k will be sent to charity after. That's pretty That's cool. A, it's and interesting. Then, and then the DIB also said that additional uh, honoraries for Kobe will be part of the day. And for, for Gianna and like, the other seven right. people who were on the helicopter. It, it's interesting. I'm not going to lie. I'm not 100% sure I get how it will play out in practice. And my, the only concern I would potentially have, I love, by the way, I love the idea of three separate games 
I actually think, I think that's, that's useful. I actually think that's useful. I think that's fun. I think it makes it easier to go a little harder in those games and, and sort of treat them as their own sort of self-contained entity that might make them a little more con- uh, competitive. I'm a little concerned that the added 24-point thing might feel a little bit convoluted, and I, and I wouldn't want anything that's supposed to be honoring Kobe to feel convoluted. That being said, it also might make it really fun. I just, I just like, need to see what it looks like. I just like, like the idea, like, you, you get to a situation where basically you're down 10 points before the fourth quarter starts. you got to get to 24 first, or the other team's got to get to 34, 54, or whatever it might be, which in an all-star game, that could totally happen. Absolutely. You know, where like one team, you know, outscores the other over the course of however long. You could also have a fourth quarter if it's relatively tight and let's say the cumulative score is, you know, one, you know, it's a plus three or a plus four for the other team where the fourth quarter is over in about three and a half minutes. Yeah. 24 points in an all-star game. That might not take very Look, long. I, I, in theory, this could be really fun. I just, I just need to see exactly how it plays out. Good for the NBA for trying. Absolutely. Because the NBA I, all-star game had gotten so stupid. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? Stupid's not even the word well, just, I would use. Like, it's stale. It's stale. It's, because, and like all the hand wringing over, does Alex Caruso get in? Like, for over this game that's 193 to 184, where nobody even kind of puts in any effort until maybe midway right. through the fourth quarter. Just, it, it, At least this is something. Right. It always felt like a yeah. contest with no stakes where nobody was particularly invested in the result. Yeah. And and now at least there might be a little bit more of that investment. And all investment. these guys all these guys, by the way, are going to want to take it seriously if for no other reason. No well, reason, just yeah. if for no other reason just to honor Kobe. Yeah. Um and so you know the NHL's done a lot of experimenting with their all star game to their benefit and to their credit. So maybe it'll work for the NBA. Kirk Morrison coming up next. Guests appear via the Shell performance hotline. We will get uh, everybody ready for the Super Bowl with Kirk, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, and apparently Michael Thompson, 710 ESPN. NFL Talk to you brought NFL Talk brought to you by Marathon. No matter where your travels take you, Marathon can improve your engine performance with quality top-tier gasoline. Marathon fueling the American spirit. And when I think of the American spirit, Andy Kamenetsky, you know who I think of? Michael Thompson. Absolutely. Right. American right. patriot. He's a new citizen. Although I feel like... He's not so new anymore. That's right. I've been, uh, it's been, what, four years now, right? I yeah. believe. Me and Fab- Fabio came in the, together. <laughs> country yeah. country right. still standing. That's right. Two good look, two of the best looking, uh, new, newest immigrants, uh, U.S. citizens up there. That's right. Me and Fabio. I felt like every time I know I watch Federal play, I feel Swiss. Except um, I'm ready to throw him out of the family. He keeps losing. To Djokovic now. Well, I mean, he's he's 93 years (laughs) old, still doing this. I know, I know. Give the guy a break. Everybody's like picking on Serena, too. Um, You know, she can't win that. She's, you know, give her a break. (laughs) That's right. Kirk, you're not one of those people picking on Serena, are you? No, no, no. I'm not picking on anybody. Uh -uh. I say to myself, I don't pick on people. That's that's bullying. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Kirk Morrison joining us from Miami, where the Super Bowl is happening this weekend. Uh, thanks, Kirk. We appreciate it. Um, I I love games like this where it's like you have two teams that are you're not going to ask him basically about nothing. We're getting there. No, we're getting, we're getting. You don't just dive right into what Kirk's up to <laughs> in all nightlife. You got to loosen them up. <laughs> With two teams though that are are really 180 degrees different in terms of like their how they profile. When you think of like the, what what is important in this game, where do you start? Whew, I think you got to start with uh, offense and defensive, right? Um, you think of the 49ers, you think of their defense, that front four, right? Four first rounders and Richard Sherman in the back end. 
And then when you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, it's the reigning MVP until Saturday, Patrick Mahomes, uh, and you know Tyreek Hill, Andy Reid, their offense. I think that's where you start with. I think that's kind of the, the big headline going into this game. But at the same time, you can look at the 49ers offense and say how ball control that they've been in these playoffs. And then you look at the Kansas City Chiefs defense that has actually played better down the stretch. So to me, this is really one of the more even Super Bowls that I've seen in a long time. And that's why I wasn't surprised when this game first opened up. And there really wasn't a true favorite. It was like a one-point favorite and it was even. But I really think this is going to be a truly even Super Bowl. Oh, even even my foot. You think those are old, those old slow cornerbacks can stay with that speed that Kansas City has, Kirk? Yeah, when well, you got a pass rush like Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, and now you throw in D. Ford, who's playing against his old team, and people in Kansas City keep talking to him about being offsides versus the Patriots last year, Michael. So yeah, Michael, a little fuel in his tank. So I mean, that front four, we've seen what they can do to quarterbacks. They make them look pretty ordinary, right? I mean, we saw it last week when they, you know, went up against Aaron Rodgers, and look how bad Aaron Rodgers looked. Oh, he's thirty. He's thirty. Yeah, but yeah, you got but Mahomes can move around, man. He's he's smooth. Yeah, but he, where can he move to? Right, this is a disciplined pass rush, and Robert Sala, who's the defensive coordinator for San Francisco, he's more disciplined than a lot of the pass rushes. This isn't Mahomes going against J.J. Watt, who's kind of on the last leg. It looks like when they play it against him. This is a different type of defense. So that's why I think the chess match is going to be: how can they get? Patrick Mahomes on the run to allow those receivers to get deep because this 49ers defense, especially in the back end, they benefit off what those front four do. Talking with Kirk Morrison, joining us from Miami in, in, in anticipation of Sunday's Super Bowl. I want to ask you about the debate that's been going on in terms of who Garoppolo is as a quarterback. You mentioned that ball control earlier. Do you, have you seen that? Just Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't thrown a pass since week right. twelve. Do you do you see that as a function, Kirk, of just that offensive line and the running game being so strong for the Niners that there's no reason to go away from it, or them being a little bit concerned about giving Garoppolo too much to do? I feel like if you can just throw it down to the post and you can have Kareem doing hook shots all game long, do I need to shoot jumpers? No, I'm gonna go with what works. Why go away from it? That's the 49ers run game, right? They continue to run, and they got three different backs who can do it. Matt Breida, Raheem Mostert, and then Tevin Coleman. Those guys run the football, and they do it really, really well, and they play great ball control. But at the same time, to kind of answer your question a little bit, I have seen Jimmy Garoppolo throw the football down the field, whether it's to Debo Samuel, whether it's to Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, there was even a game this season that a guy like George Kittle had 13 catches. Okay, so... They can throw the football, but why throw it? Why put the ball in harm's way when you got a dominant run game that can eat up the clock and definitely can give you just, I think, the, the, the feel of the game, but to also just kind of command and really put the game in your hands. I don't know why would you change that. Kirk, if the 49ers fall, fall behind 14, 17, nothing, say 14 or 17, nothing in the first quarter, should we just switch the game over to the Cornhole Championship on ESPN? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they can't come back from 17 I don't down. Know right? Cornhole is actually surprisingly compelling. It actually really is. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I'm good at it. I'm, I'm thinking about uh, joining the tour. No, I, honestly, I don't think you turn away from this game. I, I don't believe so. I think San Francisco does have the ability. They've got some big-time playmakers, right? If you're going to force Jimmy Garoppolo to throw the football, I mean, he's shown it. He can do it. It's just that he's not being asked to do it a ton. But 
he has won some games. And I go back to that New Orleans Saints game they played a little bit earlier in the season where they were in a shootout, and they went down, and they, and they took care of business, right? And they were just a field goal away from beating uh, the Baltimore Ravens in a sort of a game that missed one of the top defenses in the league, you know, one of the better defenses, I should say, in Baltimore, and yet Jimmy Garoppolo utilized his run game, but he made the plays when they're needed. That's all you ask is that can Jimmy make the plays when needed, and I'm fully confident that he can. Hit, that he can. It's just that I really feel like there's just an equal offense and defensive game between both teams. All right, so we're talking to Kirk Morrison. Uh, obviously, he's related he's to Jim. What? He's related to Jim. Is Kirk at the gym? Is he related to Jim? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't want to make assumptions just because aesthetically it would seem like the answer is no. Um, but so, like last year, Sean McVay gets to the Super Bowl and. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Last year, Sean McVay gets to the Super Bowl. And, you know, he's the genius coach, and it doesn't really work out well for him. A lot of people questioning the game plan and the execution when it's done. This year, you know, it's Kyle Shanahan versus, you know, the old veteran in Andy Reid. What do you expect out of the coaching matchup here? Well, good question. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup, right? You got both coaches who have an extra week to prepare. We know what Andy Reid's record looks like coming off of a bye week. He's historically been one of the best coaches in all of the NFL history, NFL history really, coming off of a bye week where he can devise a game plan that can really help out his players just be successful. And you throw Kyle Shanahan, who I think is a guy who's really learned from his last Super Bowl appearance, right, as the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons and being up 28-3 and still trying to chuck the ball down the field and stay aggressive, and yet they lost that game to the Patriots. So this is an interesting matchup between the two head coaches because I feel like who has the most to gain? Obviously, it's Andy Reid. Andy Reid wins the Super Bowl. I mean, that kind of, you know, his career is already set, right? He's now won a Super Bowl, done it for many years. But I think Kyle Shanahan, I think if he wins the Super Bowl and you look at kind of he and McVay and you say who built their team for lasting success, and right now, the San Francisco 49ers can wave their hand and say, hey, we've won a Super Bowl, and we still feel like we're just scratching the surface on how good we can be for many years, where the Rams right now, they've got a, an offseason that's going to be a lot of changes over there in Thousand Oaks. Hey, uh, Kirk, uh, the fact that uh, Kyle's father won two as a head coach, does that give him any kind of an advantage in as, far as, as far as using his father as a sounding board and what to expect and how to approach this game as a head coach? Yeah, I mean, he grew up with it, and I think that's what's helped him kind of rise up the coaching ranks as well because he's been successful wherever he's been, right? I mean, <laughs> he made Rex Grossman, uh, you know, uh, one of the top quarterbacks in the league for a year, right? He did it with Matt Ryan, where Matt Ryan won an MVP when they were together in Atlanta. So I think what he's learned is how to put players in the right position, but also utilize your weapons. Remember when Mike Shanahan was winning those Super Bowls? Everyone always goes back to we got to win one for it because it's John Elway, but it was the assertion of who Terrell Davis who really helped them win those Super Bowls. It was Terrell Davis running the football and getting those you know I think uh, third and shorts, but plays to where John Elway could just make one play, but it was really off the running game. I think that's where he's leaned on his dad and. How his dad won Super Bowls, I think that's how Kyle Shanahan can will win Super Bowls as well, Michael. Mm-hmm. And then a uh, last question for you, Kirk. I got one for you before you leave. Oh, okay. Second to last question yeah, for you. A quiz for you and Kirk. Go ahead. Okay. You want me to do it now? I'm here. Well, Michael, yes. Sure. Yeah. All right, uh, Kirk and Kamenitskis. Yeah. Who came up with the term Super Bowl? 
Look, you guys wow. don't know nothing. And Kirk, you're a player. You should know this. Jorge, 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 Jorge knows. Don't tell Jorge. I want to see if Kirk knows. Was, I know all about the Kansas history City, of the It was yes. Kansas City Chiefs owner Lamar Hunt. Yeah, and how did he come up with the name? He, In a uh, vision. He saw the Virgin no. Mary. Kirk, maybe Kirk knows. How did he come up with the name, Kirk? I think it was used to be called the Big Game, and then he changed it to they changed it to Super Bowl. I forget. You know, you know what? You know how he came up with it? He said his how daughter was playing with a Super Bowl. You remember those things? Yes. yes. And, yes. He, and and he saw a plan with it, and that's how he came up with the name Super Bowl. Isn't yeah. that cool? <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what's even, what's even, Mike, you know, I mean, what's what? even cooler is that um, yesterday, uh, I, I, I talked to him many times before, but talking with uh, Clark Hunt, who was the son mm-hmm. of Lamar Hunt, and just how cool it was to lift the AFC trophy, which we know the AFC champion, the trophy is named after Lamar Hunt. So, to see the Hunt family hoisting the trophy, in which was named after their dad, the you know the founder of the Kansas City Chiefs, that was pretty cool, man. Yeah, pretty but cool. if they don't win Sunday, they'll use that trophy for a doorstop. <laughs> for a nice nobody, door. Nobody wants the Western Conference trophy. You only want the NBA trophy. <laughs> yeah, right, Andy, jump true. in. <laughs> Go ahead. All right, Kirk. Uh, last question. <laughs> last question for you. Who wins? Yeah. Who wins? Oh man, I've uh, I've been going back and forth with this, but. It, there's just something about Patrick Mahomes. There's something about uh, the way that he plays the game of football. And in a game that needs you, you to score points, I really feel like Kansas City, they can put up a ton of points. And San Francisco, uh, they want to keep the game probably in the low 20s, you know, mid-20s, where I think that Kansas City just really outlasts them in the end. And Patrick Mahomes makes one more play than the San Francisco 49ers. And I have the Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs winning 37 to 28. Ooh. Ooh. I hope you're right. I believe that is the wrong answer, but thank you for playing, Kurt. That's a fun game, like though. That. That's you going out tonight? Game. You going out tonight? Uh, tonight we have the, the former players <laughs> VIP party, so I get to go hang out, do that tonight, Ooh. do a little community event tomorrow, and just getting ready for the game on Sunday. I'm excited so he's, for my sixth Super Bowl. Kirk Morrison's so it's always a pro. Fun time. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah, I'm a All pro. Right. All right, thanks, Come Kirk. On, Michael, I'm, I'm, I'm a pro, Michael. You got to keep your voice, too. You start burning a candle at both ends, you can't even yeah. make it to Sunday. I know, you're right. Now, just make, make sure you're home by by midnight. All right, thanks, Kirk. Yep. Appreciate it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a long Michael Thompson player. I see y'all. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, stealing free food from uh, the uh, hotel. Free food is the best food. Isn't uh, it taste ESPN better? Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. How one tweet cost a business $200 million. What? We'll explain that next. Kamenetsky Brothers, Michael Thompson, 710 ESPN. Reminder that guests appear via the Shell Pennzoil performance line. I guess that's you, Michael, even though you're here yeah. with us live. Um, so I mentioned, guys, that the like one tweet, $200 million. Wait a minute. Any Two, guesses? One tweet, some one company. Tweet, $200 million cost a oh, company. Oh, oh, I think I know what it is. I think yeah. I know what it is. It's got to be Disney. No, nobody would do that around here. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, I thought I thought because of some some uh, somebody said about Kobe or something. I don't know. No, nope. no, no, none of that. But you are familiar with this tweet. You're I know. I know you've tweet? actually spoken about this tweet. The, the person who sent the tweet, you've oh. met, and the thing he was talking. You know, that, that it cost the, co- cost that, the company two hundred million. Yes, a company near and dear to your heart, near and dear to mm. your your family's heart. Uh, let's see. Near and dear to your is retirement. It's, is, it a sports co- is it a sports company? It's a sports yes. company. Sports entity. Sports entity. Well, what could sports it, league. What am, what am I missing? I, I usually keep up on everything. Sports league, Oh, Michael. sports league. 
Somebody sent a tweet that's costing the sports league $200 million. Running our heads, Mike. Yeah, I'm running. Is a black or white person? That, that sent, sent a tweet? tweet? Yeah. White. White guy. All right. But a, but that, but a blacker league. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say, but I kind of think it's uh, the NBA. Yes, yes, oh, Michael. We've been trying to steer you there. Steer you. How did it cost? Uh, really hard did, to get you there. How did it cost us two hundred million? The salary cap. So uh, Woj and Bobby Marks at ESPN uh, reported this morning that the NBA is going to release an adjusted twenty twenty one salary cap luxury tax projections, which are going to drop because of lost revenue for the league, and uh, the cap is projected to go down from one hundred and sixteen million, but could go down. Uh, as low as 113, and part of the reason is the lost revenue, up to $200 million yeah. of lost revenue uh, that was uh, from China following Daryl Morey's tweets this summer think, regarding Hong Kong. Do you Kong. think this is a one-year perm- one year punishment from China, or do you think this is uh, going to go on forever, that they're just not going to do business with the NBA anymore? I don't know, but it cost, <laughs> cost the league a lot of money. Now $3 million. It's, like, it's not just that... Um, you know the league loses money or this that this has a real impact on what teams do this summer player movement this that and other you yeah. know, all of a sudden teams are expecting 116 117 yeah. million or whatever it might be it drops down when you lose revenue it's one thing not to gain a lot when you actually lose cap mm-hmm. space you know that that really screws with your projections yeah hopefully they can find other avenues to make up that loss in the future near future and it's going to impact how much guys can sign for this this the next summer but mm-hmm. when you hear how much it's going to impact it and what they can sign for i don't think anybody in the public's going to be weeping for them tune into the ESPN daily podcast bringing you a deep dive into <clears throat> single story uh, into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Dell Small Business download subscribe and review ESPN daily available wherever you enjoy your podcast so, well, the issue, Michael, isn't whether or not uh, anybody that's a fan is going to be feeling for the players individually because yeah. of lost income. You're right. In the grand scheme of things, these even the lowest paid guys in the NBA make more than most people. $873,000 right. a year is the minimum. Salary. But fans will, take that. Mm-hmm. fans though will be upset if they learn that the lowered cap figure could potentially cost them a player that they want for their team yeah, you know because what? they end up in cap hell. I mean, like, you know, a guy like Anthony Davis, the, the number he's going to sign for, for the max deal the Lakers are going to give him and he's going to sign, you know, that's... It goes down a tiny bit. A tiny bit, but, yeah. But he'll he'll you know, survive. The, the, the mid-level goes down a little bit. A little all bit. those little exceptions go down a little bit. And so, like, a team that might have an extra... 500000 or a million bucks to give someone, suddenly mm-hmm. that makes a little bit more of a difference because... You know, it's the difference between a three million dollar contract and a four and a half million, as opposed to like a six million dollar oh. and an eight. Where like a guy might make a difference. Wouldn't phase me if I'm a GM. You just go out there and you find hidden talents like the Alex Carusos of the world who come in and help you win. That's why you make. It. Okay, so we can't go sign player A who can c- command uh, thirty million bucks a year. We'll go sign players B who can make six million bucks a year and help us along the way. Well, the good news for the Lakers is actually, you know, as long as the revenue starts to go back up again, not this summer but next summer. They'll be okay. So the the big thing the Lakers are planning on doing this summer is re-signing Anthony Davis. And then you start to make similar choices like what they did last year because they, they are really interested in preserving that cap space so they can add either another star around LeBron and an AD, presumably, mm-hmm. both of them. But the, you know, to have that space to add more players around Davis – that's really a, the, a, the only way they're going to be able to do it. And a lot of their it. guys, too, are on two-year deals anyway. Like yeah. KCP is theoretically <laughs> coming back next year. Danny Green's on a three-year deal? Danny is three. Two. Three. I three. three. He's three on a three. For, three for 45. Right. He's on a three-year deal. Is this a third-year so guarantee, though? 
Yeah, I think it is. Well, yeah. either way, good, the point being, he's going to be he's going to be on the team next year. That's the point. Yes, like yeah. uh, Javale McGee going to be on the team next year. Caruso on the team next year. So a lot of these slots are yes. already taken. Anyway. The Lakers are not a, the Lakers are not a team that this impacts very much, and it's a it's a pretty weak free agent class. Yeah, but it is interesting. You know, you know, we we people picked on LeBron for not being more vocal about this you know when it happened in terms of you know expressing a little more of an opinion about what was going on in china and hong kong and all that and i I understand like the the impulse and some people get turned off by guys protecting their money but you do have to remember he's aware that he's not just protecting his money it's everyone's money and so if he costs the league another couple million dollars or a hundred million dollars he's taking money away from his colleagues Mm -hmm. and that's a tough spot to put a guy in exactly yeah, I thought people were being a little unfair towards the NBA anyway over this over that China situation. Um, dozens, hundreds of companies from around the world do business in China, so to be it's to be piling on the NBA, I say, come it, on, people. It's it's a it's a tricky, it's a tricky. Yeah. Spot. It's the complications that come with a global worldwide economy. Exactly. All right, so um, Andy and I will be we're going to be back tomorrow, yes. ten to noon. Michael, you'll be calling the game tomorrow night. That's right, back to work. Very exciting, and uh, everything else uh, you got the Mason Ireland coming up uh, later today. Lakers basketball tomorrow, seven ten ESPN.